Yeah, so our idea really was to give a high-level view of how resilient your country is and by giving some hints on specific items, so specific indicators where perhaps you are not doing that great. The idea is not really to give like a precise information about what's really happening in your network at a very granular level, but to give you an overall hint whether you are in the right direction in terms of resiliency. And if our system allows you to identify those weak points, we have done our job. Then it is up to you, up to the policymakers in the country, network operators, to go and try to see how to improve the situation. You're listening to Ping, a podcast by APNIC discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, George Michelson. This time, I'm talking to Amrish Fokir from the Internet Society about the Pulse project. Pulse is a system operated by ISOC which curates data from a range of sources. It's like a continuous internet health measurement looking at availability, suitability, and overall condition of the internet at a local and global level. It has simple diagnostic scores to aid governance decisions. It's not just about technology, but includes measurements of risk from state actor intervention and legal concerns within a jurisdiction of interest. So, I'm in the central courtyard of HUST, the Technical University in Hanoi, Vietnam. I've been attending the AIMTECH 2023 meeting, and we're going to be talking today with Amrish, who was one of the keynote speakers at this meeting. Amrish, could you introduce yourself, please? Hi, George. First of all, it's so nice to meet you after so many years. I think the last time we met was in 2018. It's uh, been a long time. Right. Always a pleasure to see you again. My name is Amrish Fokia. I work as an internet measurement and data expert at the Internet Society, and I'm based in Mauritius. You're involved in a measurement and presentation activity in ISOC, which you're calling Pulse. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about Pulse. What are you trying to achieve here? So first of all, Pulse is one of the products that we want to promote at the Internet Society. We want to make this tool useful to the community by curating data from multiple places, but make it in such a way that it is easy to understand to the different stakeholder groups that we used to talk to. We deal with governments, we deal with the network operators group, we deal with uh, scientists, academics. So each of those different group of people, they want some or different types of information. What we want to do really is to be in between as a layer between the very technical uh, sphere where you have a lot of research, a lot of measurement research happening and the policy sphere where you need data to do advocacy work. We want to be, you know, the buffer between those two worlds where sometimes it is difficult to actually digest very technical highly researchy type of information. We want to make it accessible to the larger audience. So you have just given a presentation today 
at the AINTEC meeting, which is being held here in Vietnam. And the key element that I took from this talk on ISOC Pulse is that you're trying to address the problem of resiliency. Could you talk a little bit about what this means to you? Yes, resiliency is something uh, we are all talking about nowadays. In every aspect of, of life and internet including, we need resiliency. Uh, needless to say that the internet has become a critical service. Actually, a lot of things happen on the internet, whether it is financial transactions, even contacting emergency services. To some extent, it happens over the internet. So we need redundancy, we need robustness, we need it to react in the face of challenges. And the idea, of course, is to give a sense of how good or how bad resiliency is of the internet in a certain region. So, of course, resiliency can have different meanings for many people. Yes, I was going to say, it, yeah. there isn't like a resiliency meter that comes on your Cisco router that swings no. between 1 and 11. You've had to come up with a number of different measures that you yes. look at. Exactly. And, and it was a, an easy task because, as I, I was saying, uh, resiliency can mean different things for different stakeholder groups. So what we thought is, why don't we just put together different meaning of resiliency, which we have identified into main pillars, that gives a roughly overall idea of the healthiness of the internet ecosystem. In so this idea of health, it goes quite naturally to a comparison with models of what we think about an individual's health. You need to keep moving, you need to have weight-bearing exercise, you must take care of nutrition, you must have adequate sleep. It's not that you can't be a little out of balance on these, but you have to come up with some overall sense, how healthy am I as an individual in all these qualities? You have a similar kind of synthesized model of resiliency based on different qualities. But what are these qualities? Uh, very much so, George, um, as you rightly pointed out. So the human system is, a, is an ecosystem of different things put together. And so is, is the internet. It's made of so many different components from the technical side of things to the policy side of things to the business side of things. So the pillars that we have identified are infrastructure, quality, security, and market readiness. Infrastructure, of course, without infrastructure, the internet would function. We need to have good quality of service for people to be able to access the different types of applications online. We need security. Users need to be protected. Networks need to be protected. Well, there are active threats in play in the internet. We don't have to talk about yeah. specifically from where. Mm -hmm. It's just immediately observable. If yes. you turn a device on on the yes. internet, it will start to receive yes. unwanted traffic. Exactly, exactly. And at Intech itself, there was some uh, presentation about just a plain Android device without anything, a vanilla device, would start sending traffic in, in many different directions. So. Just imagine open networks on the internet, sometimes not even behind firewalls, not even hardened enough, going to be abused, of course, by, by hackers and uh, hijackers and uh, so on. So you mentioned two of these four pillars, the infrastructure and the security. Mm -hmm. The other two? The other two is the quality and performance, so in which we measure the quality of your bandwidth and latency to a speed test server. So this is much 
more like the traditional measures as right. engineers we've seen about delay, loss, and jitter exactly. in the network and the available bandwidth. Right. I think it's nice that we carry forward those models that we understand, mm -hmm. and you've integrated those into your yeah. Pulse overall health check. And the fourth one is more a social construct. Mm -hmm. It's much more about the domain we operate the networks in, I think. Right. The fourth one is a less technical one, but still very important. It is about, maybe it is a measure of how mature is your market. And are you, as a policymaker, adopting the best practices to allow a safe and sound evolution of your market? So we talk about affordability, because you might have a very good infrastructure, good performance, but if it's not affordable to the majority of your internet users, then there is a problem. There's no point delivering the highest bandwidth on the planet to one person exactly. in the economy. It's right. about overall reach into the national economy. Definitely, definitely. And similarly, we, we look at market concentration. In many cases, we have found some countries would have, either it is the incumbent operator, they might have two or three, but still it's highly concentrated towards one or two. This high concentration are it's definitely not good for, first of all, competition. So it doesn't allow to bring the price down. It doesn't allow innovation. And then it's easier to control the internet when you have only a few players. And of course, it is a single point of failure. So you mentioned three or four examples of recent cases of large-scale failure of internet. Could we talk a little bit about them? I should probably say up front that I live in a country that suffered one of them. So this is not about objectifying other places. This actually affected me. So you mentioned the Optus network outage in Australia. How did your Pulse system characterize this? Right. Yeah, that was uh, quite a bit of a surprise for us when we because we know internet in Australia is, is rather robust and you have all the necessary infrastructure in place and everything. But one thing we didn't realize is that to some extent, the market is quite concentrated. Maybe you have what, maybe two or three? I would say three, three, potentially four players, right. but it is dominated by two major entities, exactly. Telstra and yeah. Optus. But I believe you actually found that Optus itself, to some extent, didn't have rich, diverse behavior behind it. Yeah, yeah. And um, one thing we do measure on this index is also the redundancy of stream providers. I mean, your redundancy in terms of upstream providers. It would be great if all operators in the world have more than one provider. Even though, even if you have two providers, sometimes you can be using only one link and not using the other link. But still, it's good to have at least two providers. And in some countries, so, for example, another bad example would have been the Telecom Italia outage where Telecom Italia, Tim, had only one upstream provider, which is Sparkle. And when the link went down, a lot of users got affected. So this is, in some ways, a combination of two qualities in the pillar. There was a lack of diverse provision in the market. So with the failure of a single large nation-scale ISP, in the case of Optus, I think you estimated it, it was a really large number, possibly 10 or 12 million. In Telecom Italia's case, that was almost half their market disappeared in once, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, a third, I think they mentioned about. 
But the other quality here is the lack of resiliency in that individual provider. So there is both the socialized economic market component mm -hmm. and the lack of resiliency for their BGP and the security of their network system. You mentioned a third case in Canada, I believe, Rogers. Rogers in Canada, very similar market structure as Australia, where again, two or three dominating players in terms of those who provide access to the internet users. And once one of them would go down because of a issue, uh, whether it is the upstream provider having an issue or BGP misconfiguration, a large portion of the population might get disconnected. And this is quite a risky setup, I would say, for large countries. So Pulse is trying to provide a view, a dashboard maybe, of the state of play of networks at the level of economies and regions, and it is mediating that conversation between technology and policy and consumer space people to provide simpler views. How would you have presented situations like this? What are you able to show in Pulse that relates to these problems? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our idea really was to give a high-level view of how resilient your country is, and by giving some hints on specific items, so specific indicators where perhaps you are not doing that great. The idea is not really to give like a precise information about what's really happening in your network at a very granular level, but to give you an overall hint whether you are in the right direction in terms of resiliency. And if our system allows you to identify those weak points, we have done our job. Then it is up to you, up to the policymakers, in the country, network operators to go and try to see how to improve the situation. So you have four pillars, and inside each pillar, you might have four or five discrete different measures. Now, these are not all things that you as the Internet Society collect, are they? These data sources come from various collaborations. Could you talk a little bit about that? Very much so, very much so. We almost entirely depend on third-party data sources, which we call trusted data partners, and APNIC is one of them. We do use a lot of your data, whether it is for DNSSEC validation, statistics, IPv6 adoption. Yeah, uh, those are products of APNIC labs, right. but you yeah. would also be using registry data. For the train fanatics listening in the audience, the sound you are hearing is Vietnam Railways train services, which run along the road behind us. So, as well as data from APNIC, where else are you getting information? Depending on the different dimensions and pillars. So, for example, a lot of the infrastructure cable information would come from ITU, but also from the submarine cable map, so teleogeography, basically. Information about cybersecurity is coming from CyberGreen, which is a, a quite useful data. About they, they provide quite useful information about the DDoS potential of a country. So not only if you are, you are safe against DDoS attacks from others, but are you yourself a potentially going to harm other networks because you have probably put in place the necessary filters and security Yes, this is a space APNIC is very interested in. Our DASH system mm -hmm. tries to supply similar information, but for membership privacy concerns, we don't publish information about anyone other than aggregates, but you're in a position to actually provide an overview in many ways that I think it would be harder for us to do, because it's not really 
easy for a member organization like us to do this, but it's interesting that we have both arrived at a similar place. A network needs to think both about the bad things it can do and the bad things it can receive. I think I saw on your slide that you are also using World Bank data for the econometrics that go into this. Right. So we do track what we call internet shutdowns. And at the moment, we are only tracking government-mandated internet shutdowns. Unfortunately, it is a reality in many countries. Due to multiple reasons, for example, if there is a conflict, there might be a shutdown. If there are elections happening, there might be an internet shutdown. And what maybe people are not realizing that these shutdowns have a quite bad impact on the economy. And using an econometric model that we have built internally, we are able to estimate the economic impact, not only on the GDP because of a loss of uh, business and economic activities, but we can also have a rough estimate on whether or not a country has lost foreign direct investment. Because, of course, if you're shutting down the internet, investors are not interested to come and invest in your country. So I believe you also said in your presentation, you didn't come up with economics inside. You went out into economics schools and found an economist to work on this model exactly. for you. Yes. The Internet Society has an in-residence program. So we use that program to hire an economist who help us build that model. And uh, it has been quite a fruitful collaboration. So not only have we worked on the economics of shutdown, but we have started to look at the economics of peering, for example, and the economics of encryption. So what are the benefits of encrypting traffic? So, uh, and of course, what could be the economic loss if you try to decrypt traffic? And those things that we have started to look into, but it's going to be a long journey, but it was quite fruitful so far. So this is actually not the first time the Internet Society has been involved in assessments of performance and behavior of network systems. The Manners program also has components of this, looking at the behavior of things like BCP38 and BGP, RPKI. Are you able to integrate those data sources into Pulse's network resiliency model? Yes, indeed. The Manners program comes with the Manners Observatory. And within the Manners Observatory, we do have different metrics that allows us to rate a country's compliance to the Manners uh, actions. And using this data, so it is a rating from 0 to 10. So whether or not NAS is doing filtering, whether or not NAS is doing global validation, so putting the information into the Internet Routing Registry. So putting all this information together, Manners produce a score called the Manners score, which we integrated in the Internet Resilience Index, and it gives a very good idea of the routing hygiene of a network. So this idea of taking input signals of different qualities, it comes to this outcome that you need to try and reduce this to not exactly a singleton, but something close to a single value. And that inevitably means that you have to perform some kind of reduction and some kind of weighting. You're doing this in your system, aren't you? Yes, yes. Inevitably, you have to do that as any other indices. This is a downside, I would say, that you have to reduce the data by doing aggregation. So there are different techniques for aggregation. So first of all, you need to weigh the, weigh the indicators and then aggregate them together to have a composite indicator. The benefit is that you have a single value to be able to use that to 
infer something. But the downside, as you said, is that you are losing information along the way. But on the other hand, you mm -hmm. also expose this model. This is not a secret. So part of Pulse is actually telling people the nature of the operations you perform on the data to derive this outcome. Definitely. It's a completely open and transparent methodology that we have. We have published the methodology document, actually. And anyone wishing to replicate our methodology, it would be very easy. So it, it is completely reproducible. And uh, our data sets are also published, so people would know where to get the data. So that was an important consideration when, when we were building the system to make it reproducible and open. So how long has this program been running? So this program has started actually even before that I joined the Internet Society. So at Afrinic, I was collaborating with the Internet Society on a resilience project, where actually our very first idea was to do our measurements ourselves. So we even came up with measurement, what we call pods, on which we would put either a RIPE Atlas software probe or a measurement lab network diagnostic tool to measure bandwidth, for example. But eventually, this project evolved into collating data from different sources because those data sets exist. So why not use them? And um, I think it's quite a common experience that people build their own because it's exciting and interesting mm -hmm. to build small devices and put them into the network. But after a while, you reach this problem that achieving scale is scale. really very hard. So once you've validated a theory about the behavior of a simple measure like ping tests mm -hmm. or bandwidth tests, you kind of have a ground truth model, but you can go into the marketplace of systems that are out there, like Measurement Labs or CADA or Atlas, and say, how about I take your data as one of my feeds into the model? Mm -hmm. It sounds like this is what you wound this up doing. Is, this is what we end up doing. And uh, yeah, we are using uh, Measurement Lab data in some cases where we do not have data from Measure Lab, so we, we fall back on another service. It could be Cloudflare. Bandwidth test data, it can be UCLA bandwidth test data. So this is how we do that. We integrate data sets from different places, maybe even competitors, but this allows us to have maximum coverage in terms of countries and in terms of networks. So four pillars, separate measures within each pillar, an aggregation and weighting function that derives a simpler model that allows almost single value, a weighting scale to be presented. Do you show this in a traffic-like coding or some other simple analogy for people to get like a health check? What does the interface look like? I know it's tempting to say, go and look at the <laughs> web page, and really, that's yeah. what people should do. The URL that you want people to visit it's pulse.internetsociety.org slash resilience. But since we're on air, describe to me your sure. web interface. So first of all, when the user will land on the resilience page, they will have a world map of the Internet Resilience Index. And then they can go into different regions of the world. So they can compare whether, for example, Europe is doing better in terms of resilience or than Asia. And they can dig even more. So we do cluster them by subregions as well. So in Asia, for example, you would have Southeast Asia. So this is the standard yeah. UN region subregion exactly. model, yeah. which means it aligns quite naturally with many other people's model mm -hmm. of the world, but also with World Bank GDP and related statistics. Yeah, because we do use those statistics in our framework, so it's important for us to keep the same 
uh, denomination in terms of geographic regions. So I can then select major regions, sub-regions, down to an individual economy level? Exactly, down to the country level. And when you click on the country, you have like a page which gives you for each pillar and for each dimension and for each indicator, what are the values between zero and 100. So these values, we always tell the users that these values are not indicative of the exact thing happening on the network or in the country. It is just an indication of, of how good or how bad. Maybe we can improve that in the future by putting some scale, for example, zero to 30% is bad, up to 50% is moderate and up to 100 is good. So we can change the scale eventually. But the idea is just to give an indication of how good or how bad. And it allows us to also to rank the countries in terms of resilience. So the three cases we discussed, Rogers in Canada, Tim in Italy, and mm -hmm. Optus in Australia, their commonality that would have shown up in this system is that they had a certain lack of competitive market share. There was dominance by one or two central yeah. large ISPs and loss of service in that ISP caused a significant outage in that economy. So that tends to suggest that the model in this case would be very strongly showing, well, you're resilient in power and you're resilient in infrastructure and data centers, but this market effect is the reason you had a large component of loss in this pulse score. Yeah. And that was intentional. We really wanted to, for each pillar to be able to compensate one another. So if you're weak in a pillar, uh, it doesn't mean that your internet resilience index will be reduced if you are doing better in another pillar. Actually, it compensates each other. I think it's a feature and not a bug in the system because as we talked about, resilience is made up of so many different features, so many different components. It should compensate one another, but still, Looking at the data, we expect, hopefully, countries to actually be able to identify their weak points and create the right interventions for that. We've talked quite a lot about Pulse and its pillars, and we've talked about the ability to use it to look into different behaviors in the system, understand the components of risk that people might be exposed to, the things that contribute to resiliency. But there's a word there that I think you would like to talk to a little more, and it's sustainability. So tell us about sustainability. Indeed, George. So one of the feedback that we have received from community members is that we should be looking more at the sustainability aspect of internet resilience. It is not unusual those days that we are now talking about the carbon footprint of the internet. And uh, in many countries, for example, the internet is still run or electricity is produced uh, using coal or diesel, so very polluting sources of energy. And also the cooling process of data centers and all those things that we should be taking into account when operating a network. So the idea is actually for us to be able to gather data, of course, because everything is about data, on those sustainability aspects of the internet. It's not an easy task. No, this is quite yeah. a complicated space. So if we start in network protocols, some protocols are just innately energy intense. If you're mm -hmm. using radio frequency and you need high 
distance, long distance reach and high bandwidth, you necessarily have to increase the energy levels to punch that signal a further distance. And it invokes energy costs to make data exist at high frequency signaling. <laughs> There's encoding overheads. But to some extent, that is actually a fixed quality. It doesn't in some ways matter how much data you put down a fiber network, mm -hmm. the cost of encoding it in the fiber to have the fiber working as a digital stream will be constant. But you mentioned the data center, that component of energy is really quite severe, isn't it? It is quite severe. And uh, I've seen some data centers producing some data about how eco-friendly they are. And if we, if we manage to put out a standard or some sort of policy so that all data centers produce this type of information, that would be really be amazing. And it would help the civil society or other organization to be able to have an idea of how much we are contributing to the carbon footprint and perhaps take reverse actions to make things better. And it would not be necessarily clear that the answer is to have more things locally because in some economies, the marginal cost of producing electricity to run air conditioning plants, for instance, might actually exceed the budget of available power. So there can be circumstances where deliberately choosing to have data compute take place on the other end of a fiber mm -hmm. is actually the appropriate choice for a given state of an economy. That's right. So there might be a big paradigm shift. So if we have the data to be able to say that maybe computation should not happen in one place, that's already a game changer, I think. And this isn't the internet society trying to say what should happen. It's the internet society saying, here is information about the nature of energy right. costs and sustainability in the provision of this service. You get to decide how you feel about that as it's facing your local conditions. Definitely, we, we just want to put that information out there and encourage people to produce data as much as possible for us to be able to show that to the world. And hopefully this will have a, a positive impact. So is this one of the new measures you might be working on across the next year or two years to include in the resiliency aggregate? It is not in our short-term plan, but definitely in our, I would say, in our medium and long-term plan to incorporate environment-related information in our... In but our we might be at very early stages of understanding how this is expressed and what information sources are available across yeah. the footprint. Yeah, yeah. We are thinking of running a small study at the Internet Society just to at least understand what type of information is available and where, where are the gaps so that maybe we can perhaps tier research in direction to, to bridge those gaps. So what are the next steps you're thinking of taking in Pulse? I think you talked a little bit today at AIMTECH about some possible future developments. Right, so since we have launched the Internet Resilience Index, we have received quite a lot of feedback from the community and even we were approached by some players to see whether we, we could actually integrate some predictive analytics in the... Well, a predictive quality would be a really amazing outcome. Mm -hmm. Definitely. We have to see how we can augment the system so, such that it can use maybe past events and past information, historical data of resiliency and be able to predict, okay, is this going in the right direction or not? Is there going to be a weak link in that specific economy? So we do have a Pulse Fellowship program in which this specific project is going to be 
advertise and hopefully we will get candidates to to help us on that unfortunately by the time this episode of ping goes to air i suspect your fellowship program for the coming year will already have closed off but this is a continuing activity you're likely to do in future years yes it, it is going to be advertised every year in december and we encourage uh, researchers to if you're interested in resiliency to come in and look at the different projects that we have and to apply and help us create a better internet. So perhaps Pulse will become part of the landscape of refereed and peered papers that people are talking about in internet-related measurement, the same way that Atlas has become a tool. Perhaps Pulse will be one of the hopefully, tools. Hopefully, it is definitely my selfish wish that Pulse produce as many peer-reviewed papers as possible in the best venues, for example, at the Internet Measurement Conference, and to make sure that whatever we're producing is also of good quality and which is also accepted by the community. So are you able to talk a little bit about the kinds of technology you have used to build Pulse? Sure. The Pulse platform itself is a WordPress system on which we are plugging in different front-end applications. But the backend is all Python and using API systems such as Flask API or Fast API and then communicating to, to a database. So nothing really fancy. So the database yeah. is just commodity database. Commodity database, yeah. One of the recent conversations we had on Ping discussed using ClickHouse because it's a very good vehicle for time series. Are you looking at something like Postgres or MySQL, MariaDB? What is your database of choice on the back here? For the moment, it is Postgres. Well, for the Internet Resilience Index, it is uh, MariaDB. But Pulse has many different databases. For different so you're purposes. having to combine different right. data sources mm -hmm. and your APIs are providing you with a nice surface of surface, call. Right. This is quite a high-level abstract interface to fetch yes. components of interest. So building the API. So this is one of the projects that we have for 2024, that Pulse will have an API so that we can expose all the information that we have out there to the public because not only we are collecting data about resiliency we're also collecting data about the adoption of enabling technologies the the shutdowns happening we do track them so we want to expose this information in a machine readable way so pulse api is high on our list hmm. i think it's nice when people who have access to data and information derived from data provide that kind of service and having an api dictionary and a consistency of APIs, a very nice thing to do. That's a really great idea, Amrish. So are you running this fully cloud or is this partially run in your own data centers? How are you making this work? Yeah, it's uh, fully cloud. We try not to operate too many services within uh, ISOP uh, data centers. We have lab system there, so we do not have redundancy for, for the system, so we, we rather put them in the cloud and make it easily manageable and accessible to other So people. you do a pre-test on a lab in-house and when you're comfortable that's working, you then do a cloud deploy. Right. And this is running 24 by 7, basically. This is up and running. Yep. Oh, that's really great. Amrish, thank you very much. That's been really interesting. So the URL again that people can visit? Pulse.internetsociety.org and you will find all the different focus areas for them. Thank you. Thank you, George. If you've got a story or research to share here on Ping, why not get in contact by email to ping at apnic.net 
or via the APNIC social media channels. Also, remember the measurement at APNIC.net mailing list on Orbit is there to discuss and share relevant collaborative opportunities, grants and funding opportunities, jobs and graduate placings, or to seek feedback from the community on your own measurement projects. Be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.